This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. You sure are. About uh, six minutes after four o'clock here and ready to go. Another edition of the Employment Hour. This is a live show, of course, so your chance to call in. Ask your questions about employment, severance, your job, your boss, workplace harassment, any of that stuff. You have concerns about holidays or overtime or your severance package, if it's accurate, we can get to all that stuff. Over the course of the next hour, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You want to toss an email over, that works as well. It is help at employmenthour.com. In the meantime, we're going to get to uh, just cause termination, so what that's all about, and a bunch of other stuff. And, of course, your phone calls. Phone lines are open and ready for you, so uh, so bring it on. First, so we always start every week, my friend, with the, uh, the week that was. What is going on with you, Leah? Well, it's just been an incredible weekend weather-wise. Uh, it's just so overdue, and <laughs> I'm sure everybody is is inside listening to um, to talk radio right now. <laughs> so, um, lots to cover today. Uh, but but in all seriousness, um, you know, it's it's an important show to listen to. Uh, I'm I'm an employment lawyer here in Vancouver. And, uh, and like you said, John, every week, either myself or Lior, we, we take over these airways to discuss employment law, to talk about, you know, more specifically, the situations that arise in my daily practice, but more importantly, to answer your question about your employment situation. So if you're listening in, uh, if you are inside or in your car and you hear something that sounds like a situation that you're going through or you want to ask a question about something that's going on in your workplace, um, you know, whether or not that's been a change that's been made to your job or an, an, an employment agreement that's being put in front of you for the first time mm-hmm. or just something that doesn't quite feel right and you want to get some answers and clear the air, give us a call. And uh, this week, to start off the week that was, which is essentially just an overview of, of my own week and the people that I speak to on a daily basis uh, and the employment issues that they, they deal with, uh, today I wanted to talk about the show a few weeks ago. Because the last time I was on with you, John, we spoke a little bit about sexual harassment claims. Um, And I was generally just imploring anybody out there who was dealing with sexual harassment claims in the workplace to give me a call. I am happy to speak with you. I would love to speak with you. And I want to help you work through this in any way that's comfortable for you. Contacting a lawyer does not mean you are going to court, you're going to be on that witness stand, and you're going to be suing that company. There are all sorts of ways in which I can help you with a sexual harassment claim. And, you know, specifically, one of the things that I was talking about as an invitation to have people contact me is with the, with the Me Too movement and the general sort of pressures that there are right now to do more from a, a top-down perspective the climate is such that sexual harassment claims are uh, are being brought forward more readily, and they're being awarded with higher amounts of money. Uh, there's, you know, there's no more slaps on the wrist. There are real punishments for industries that have allowed cultures of harassment to be perpetuated, and you know this has been reflected in larger awards in in Ontario. And my view at the time when we spoke about this, John, was that BC was was primed to follow suit. This past week, actually, a decision was released that suggests that this is exactly what is happening. Um, mm-hmm. Sexual harassment was found to have occurred, and the complainant was awarded $45,000 for injury to wow. dignity and integrity. And the tribunal said awards are trending up. 
so, you know, the first takeaway, of course, is that I'm brilliant because I predicted this three weeks ago. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, Obviously. Is, yeah, of course. Uh, but that's a given. Uh, you know, I'm not going to repeat the <laughs> obvious. Um, the, but the case is interesting itself because, you know, generally when you have higher than normal awards and, you know, $45,000 for injury to dignity and integrity in BC is certainly higher than normal. Okay. But the reason why I like this case so much is because when you normally have these higher awards, they're often supported by a set of facts that are particularly bad, right? So one of the more recent cases um, prior to this one that supported an award of this size involved a female employee who was physically, physically assaulted by her superior in a hotel room, and he made numerous wow. attempts to force, herself on her, force himself on her. Luckily, these situations are few and far between, but what that means is that those kinds of cases are also easily distinguishable, right? So company-side counsel can say, well, the individual in this case just made verbal comments, or he never forced himself on her in a hotel room, so it's not as bad, and therefore the damages award shouldn't be so high. In right. this case that came out this week, the basis of the complaint was pretty much all based in verbal comments. Um, the harasser in this instance made comments about the employee's appearance, calling her beautiful and hot, um, telling her that they should sleep together or would ask for hugs wow. or, yeah, I know, or to go on a date with her to a Canucks game, which was all refused by the employee. And as a result of the refusal of what the tribunal accepted were advances, uh, the employer then reduced the employee's hours. So the employer then punished the employee, which is something mm. that so many people are scared of in these kinds of situations. So it, w it was these facts that grounded an award of $45,000 for injury to dignity and integrity. And, you know, while certainly very difficult for that employee to have had to have dealt with, I don't hear anything in these facts that would differentiate this situation from the situation in many workplaces. Right. When we're talking right. about sexual harassment, that's often what we're talking about are, you know, lewd comments, invitations to dates from a superior. You know, this is certainly not the first time I've heard this, but it's definitely the first time that an award has been uh, has been this high. And like I said, the tribunal specifically identified that awards are trending up. So I will say that a big part of the award here was also grounded in the employee's reaction to the harassment which the tribunal described as extreme. Uh, she had a lot of anxiety afterwards. She withdrew socially, uh, and she sought assistance through uh, counseling. Again, though, although it was labeled as extreme by the tribunal, again, I don't, I don't hear anything in this that wouldn't be reflected in probably the way your ordinary person is going to respond to being harassed like that right. in the workplace. Uh, yeah. But the takeaway from that is certainly to seek assistance. If, if you are feeling, if you are being sexually harassed and if you are feeling affected by that, you know, take notes, keep a diary, uh, talk to loved ones who can then be witnesses, and, and more importantly, get medical help. Just even go speak to your general physician so that that record um, starts to take form. And that way you've got the evidence of the sexual harassment, you know, your verbal yeah. evidence of what happened, as well as the, uh, the contemporaneous evidence of how that impacted you uh, in the moment. So if you feel that you're being sexually harassed in the workplace, speak to a lawyer, right? Your employer has an obligation to maintain a workplace free from harassment. 
you as an employee, you have an entitlement to a workplace free from harassment. These are legal obligations and entitlements, and we Mm -hmm. should do what we can to enforce them. I I will reiterate my invitation, as I did a couple weeks ago. For my part, I am happy to confidentially speak with anybody in a situation like that so that we can review and assess your options and strategy. There's no reason to put up with it, legally or otherwise, so don't. You want to reach out to Leah anytime, by the way. It is uh, 604-283-3123. Still got a minute or two before we break here, pal. What, uh, what else you got going on? Yeah, just a quick one on the issue of, um, of forced resignation. So I spoke with a gentleman this week who came to see me after he was told, after 12 years with his employer, that, mm. you know, you, you, we don't really need you anymore. But for your sake, we're going to let you resign and save face. Um, which was attractive to him at the time, you know, thinking he had no other option and he was embarrassed about having to tell people that he was fired, he did so. He formally resigned and told people that he had quit. Uh, Since then, though, the whole situation wasn't really feeling right from his perspective, and so he made an appointment with me to chat about his experience uh, and what, if anything, could be done with it. Um, And what I told him very simply, and and I know we're going to wrap up uh, before we break, but a forced resignation is a termination full stop. Okay, being forced to resign is being forced to no longer have a job, which if you think about it like that, makes it clear that it's a termination. And when you've been terminated, you're entitled to severance. So if your employer tells you that you should resign, refuse to do so. Force their their hand. If they want to get rid of you, they need to terminate you explicitly. Don't let them off the hook. Okay, Um, and and that way you can still pursue your severance if you wish to do so. And it's clearly documented um, if you keep a note of everything that happened during the meeting, that it was the employer that came to you first to tell you that you needed to resign. Lines are wide open for you. Have questions about your job, employment, or we something we just talked about in the uh, the opening salvo of the show. Uh, bring it on. We'd love to talk to you. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. And uh, once we get those calls lined up, we'll uh, we'll bounce over to them. Want to talk about just cause for terminations, right? Yes, I do. I do. That's. Um, uh, I actually, you know, part of the show today. I wanted to chat a lot about the things that sort of seem to come up the most often. And mm-hmm. lately, just cause terminations, I don't know if companies are just trying to save a quick buck, um, right. but it seems like more and more employers are trying out uh, the chance of terminating somebody for cause. And let me just briefly discuss what that is. When, I, when we say just cause, you know, what does that mean? Um, the, when we're talking about a direct termination, an explicit termination of employment, it's, right. it's generally thought to be bifurcated between two different kinds of, of terminations. There's without cause, and then there's with cause. Uh, mm-hmm. Without cause is the one that, you know, the, that, that's the one where the, there's no reason for, emplo- for the termination, um, and uh, it can happen at any time, pretty much, and you're entitled to severance. So it could just happen on a Monday because of a restructuring and you get your severance package, uh, in which case you have recourse, of course, to the severance pay calculator to figure out how much money you could be entitled to uh, or your contract. Uh, right. Companies have a pretty wide berth to terminate somebody on a without cause basis. Okay. Just cause or with cause is, is essentially exactly as it, as it sounds. The company is trying to say, that we had a just reason, we had hmm. a reason to terminate your employment. And more specifically, you employee gave us that reason. 
and because of that, because it's not us who is choosing to terminate your employment relationship because of a poor fit or because of restructuring or because of the you know personality conflict in the workplace, because right. you, employee, forced us to terminate your employment, we don't owe you anything. We don't owe you any severance because it wasn't our decision. So that that is essentially what a just cause termination is. It is a company attempting to terminate you for a lawful reason that would allow them to not pay you severance at law. Okay, so so lawful reason, or, or in other words, what sort of actions can give an employer cause to terminate someone's employment? Yeah, and I guess in theory, anything. Um, you know, there, there's generally considered to be uh, a, a list of the typical ones that people look at. But when you're looking at whether or not a just cause termination is uh, valid or legal, you're not looking at a checklist of actions about whether or not an employee has done them or not. You're looking at whether or not the employee has acted in such a way so as to signal to the employer that they're repudiating the employment relationship, that they can no longer be trusted. It's, It's very serious. It's, it's a breach, right? You, you must show right. that you've breached the employment relationship. So the most common ones, and when we do talk about a list of, of possible actions that can give an employer cause to terminate someone's employment, the obvious ones stand out, which are, you know, theft, um, fraud, any kind of uh, physical violence in the workplace, harassment. Uh, but also lesser ones that build up over time. So if you're chronically late and you're warned about that repeatedly, um, that's something that can give rise to cause to terminate the employment relationship. If your performance is suffering significantly, if you're if you're a poor performer um, and the management or the company has given you clear standards about what kind of performance uh, that you're supposed to be meeting. They've mm-hmm. warned you about what happens if you don't pull up your socks. They've given you opportunities to improve. Then poor performance can also give cause to terminate someone's employment. Um, but but really, it's it's we see all sorts of fact scenarios where an employee could uh, has been terminated for cause. And and really, what what the what the kernel, what the basis of that always is is not employee committed X, it's employee did an action that causes us as a company to no longer be able to trust them. And once that happens, uh, an employer can can claim that they have caused to terminate someone's employment uh, and not pay them severance. Plenty of time for you to call in, ask your questions about this. If you've been a victim of this, for instance, feel free to uh, call in, ask Leah whatever questions you want, possibly for a friend or a family member. Now is a, a great time, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. So as far as just cause termination, how can an employee, employee side now, prove that they've done nothing wrong if an employer tries to terminate them for cause? What do they do? Well, I think that there's lots of things that you can do leading up to the termination for cause. And, you know, we'll, okay. we'll get to that. But um, after an employer tries to terminate you for cause, there's really not a whole lot that an employee can do. Um, and, and that's important here because it is the employer, it is the company that has to prove that you have done something wrong. You don't have to 
you don't have to, um, you know, make your case that you're clean and innocent. The employer has to show definitively that you acted in such a way so as to uh, so as to vitiate the trust in the employment relationship. So, oh, <clears throat> so really, it's the employer that has something to prove. And th- the reason why I think that's important to, to raise here is because I think a lot of people think that once they've been accused of of just cause, once they've been accused of an action, it's like that an opening salvo has been made, right? It's that first uh-huh. shot across the bow. And obviously the first thing that you want to do is defend that. So it sort of feels like, okay, ball's in your court, and now you've got to defend that. But that's not true. The assumption as an employee that's been terminated is that you are entitled to notice. That mm-hmm. is what the automatic legal assumption is, is that you get a severance when you're terminated. If your employer is trying to deny you that, something that our courts and our governments take very seriously in terms of employee protection, they've got to prove it. So if you are reading your cause letter and you think, you know what, this is so, I I don't even understand why they're terminating me or Mm -hmm. I don't agree with any of this, guess what? They've, you don't have to put, start putting together all of your evidence. They've got to have the evidence. They've got to be the ones that have spoken to the witnesses or, uh, or, you know, have well documented the performance issues. Uh, It's on them to prove it, which is why I say, if you've been terminated for cause, you are doing yourself a disservice if you do not speak to a lawyer. Uh, The bar for proving cause is very high. It's, it's called the capital punishment of the employment relationship. And so an employer really, really needs to be able to prove its case. And, you know, to, to just put it into context, I, as you know, John, I have a, a handful of employer clients that I help from time to time. And when they come to me and they want to say, and they say, I, I have an employee that I want to terminate for cause, I say, you know, fantastic. Um, how big is your file? <laughs> um, and I'd like right. to see that very large file. And if you can uh, scan it to me in one email, it's probably not big enough. This is something that, you know, I want to, I want to see couriered in boxes. Um, that is the kind of proof that I'm looking for when I'm employer side counsel because um, it causes very, very difficult to make out in court. The number is 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Ed, thank you for uh, hanging on for uh, a few minutes there in this afternoon. How are you, pal? Good. I have a question. Um, I've got a buddy that worked with a company for about a year, let him go without cause. His concern is that it'll follow him around as a difficult mm. employee. And his he's worried that, well, he may get some money out of the employer. Is it worth it? Because that could follow him around and, and cause him to not get positions that he might otherwise might get. That's a fabulous question. I get that question a lot, actually. And I, and I do think that a lot of people don't end up calling a lawyer in the first place or pursuing their entitlements because of that exact reason. They're terrified of the reputational damage. Uh, what I will say is that when, when a company terminates somebody for cause, it's a business or without cause, it's a business transaction. So just like when you give somebody a contract when they start off uh, a new job, a severance offer is almost meant as, uh, as, as a negotiation, right? And that's all that it starts at. You're not terminating somebody uh, and then immediately going to court. It's just a negotiation. 
And 99% of the time, the results of that negotiation, the resulting settlement agreement, will have a robust and mutual confidentiality clause. Um, so, you know, unless it's a very, very small town and a very, very small industry where everybody knows everyone's business because, you know, you can't, you can't preclude that that's a possibility, um, it's very unlikely to happen. And I very rarely see people who feel like they are uh, reputationally injured because of, uh, of a pursuit of their entitlement. What happens, what happens if you ask for a reference letter and they say, well, no, that's not going to happen? So you, you've got this one year on your employment file that clearly they're not going to write your reference letter. That means they weren't happy with your employment. Therefore, the company who's looking at you is going to say, well, they're not happy. Then hmm. we're not going to hire this guy. Yeah, I do think that that's, that that's a really important question. Your name is, is Ed? Yep, that's Ed. Yeah, okay. So yep. we're just going to take a, a quick break and then, and then come back to it, if that's okay. Because I'd like to fully answer that. And it's uh, 4.33, still plenty of time for you to call in, ask your question, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. And uh, we'll get right back to, to Ed here. Ed, thanks for hanging on the line. No problem. Yeah, so Ed, I can just pick up right where you right where you left off with the question about the reference letter. And, and if I'm right, your, your question was related to, you know, short-term employment um, and a, an employer who won't give you a reference letter and, and how that sort of looks out in the, the job market. Um, that's certainly not an uncommon um, experience. A lot of companies are actually very, very adverse to giving reference letters generally, regardless of how long you've been there, because quite honestly, it creates liability and potential exposure for the company. If they write this letter that says this guy's amazing, he was always on time, he had great work ethic, and then you know something goes terribly awry, the new company can potentially... Uh, you know, look to that former company to say, "Hey, I thought you thought this. You said this guy was amazing. You know what? What gives?" Um, and so the the general practice is to actually not give very detailed reference letters, but that's particularly true with short service employment. Um, part of that is the reason why our courts give short service employees very long periods of notice, disproportionately long periods of notice. So if I have a guy who's been working somewhere for four, five, six years. I'm looking at a notice period for him of four, five, six months. If I'm looking at somebody who's been employed somewhere for six months to a year to 18 months, still looking at a severance period of four to six months. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is because uh, it, is, it is, you know, that short period of time on a resume with no attendant reference letter is acknowledged by our courts to be, uh, to be very detrimental in looking for other work. It looks like a black mark. Um, one other reason why I will say it's important to pursue one's entitlements in this situation is because I always ask for a reference letter as part of a settlement. Uh, it's, there's no legal obligation for an employer to provide one. And so, you know, that's never going to be the hill that we die on in terms of a settlement. But, uh, but nine times out of 10, a company will give you one or, you know, one that just confirms the terms of employment and and says, you know, he was terminated because of restructuring, i.e. he didn't do anything wrong. Um, so that's, that's something that can always be negotiated as part of the final severance package, which is another reason why I would encourage anybody in that situation to speak to a lawyer. All right. Thank you very much. 
You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate, uh, appreciate your call. You want to reach out with any more concerns to Leah, the rest of the team, no problem. 604-283-3123 or simply help at employmenthour.com through email. Uh, for you, you have questions like Ed, uh, bring them on 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. That is uh, the number you want to use for the remainder. Talking about just cause terminations as we get to more calls coming in here. So from an employee standpoint, what do they do if you know their their spidey sense is going off? They think that maybe the employer is trying to set them up for cause termination. What do they do? Yeah, so this is what we were talking about right before the break about how there's all no. sorts of stuff that you can do as an employee leading up to a termination. Um, and you know, a lot of the time, if your spidey senses are tingling and you think that something is going on, somebody is trying to set you up to be terminated for cause, you could be and you very well likely are correct about that. And so why not start taking those steps? The the kinds of steps that I'm talking about to protect yourself are not going to ultimately hurt you. They're just proactive. They're just getting your ducks in a row. Um, So one of the number one things that I recommend in situations like this is that if you get a disciplinary note, because that is the first sign that you're being term that you're being set up to be terminated for cause, is that people start putting things in writing. So as soon as you get a disciplinary note or you know some sort of warning letter or anything in writing, respond in writing. It is not something that you just have to accept or sign off on or you know promptly forget about. Or although I'm sure you probably would love to, um, and for good reason. It needs to be responded to in writing because when somebody comes to me uh, when they've been terminated for cause and there's a history of written warnings and they say, well, sure, but, you know, when they wrote me up for poor performance, I was going through XYZ medical issues. And when this happened with this personality conflict with this employee that I was written up for, you know, the, the events actually went like this and I have a witness that could corroborate that. I mean, that's, that's helpful, right? I mean, certainly if you've got the memory of what led to those particular warnings, that's helpful. But at the end of the day, what is 10 times more powerful and persuasive in the, in the immediate instance is if you respond to that written letter. And all you have to do is say, you know, dear HR, dear manager, whoever it was that wrote you up, um, I'd like for this note to be included in my personnel file along with the disciplinary letter dated whatever. And then just, you know, very succinctly and simply explain your side of events. That is the greatest piece of advice I can give to somebody who feels like they're being set up for cause is to make sure that you are responding in the moment in writing to the allegations that are being made against you. What if it's taken the next step now they've been told that they are being terminated for cause? Well, as soon as you're told that you're being terminated for cause, um, you call me, <laughs> call a lawyer. Yeah. Um, you know, the sooner that we get on, we get on it, the better. If there are witnesses that we need to contact, there are witnesses that we need to contact. And, you know, when we talk to them and we get their evidence as fresh as possible, you know, that always, that's always beneficial. So, uh, you know, to, to kind of loop everything in that we were talking about um, on this topic generally If you're an employee who's being told that they're being terminated for cause, know that it's on the company to prove it. The company has to prove it. It is their obligation. It is their onus. And, and, but they're not going to prove it unless you challenge it. And the way that you challenge it is through legal counsel and calling a lawyer. So if you've been told that you've been terminated for cause, remember that it's a very, very high threshold. The employer has to meet that threshold. 
And in the event that they are wrong, they owe you severance. Plus, if they've maintained, you know, fairly light cause allegations throughout mm. the entire litigation, you know, just to slander you or just to make life difficult for you, that could actually give rise to punitive damages as well. So uh, it's just very important that you are getting legal advice in the event that something like this occurs. Reaching out is simple, by the way, VancouverEmploymentLawyers.ca. You want to call Leah uh, when we're not on the air, 604-283-3123, and help at EmploymentHour.com. Reminders, well, anytime you're thinking about, uh, or if you're looking at a severance offer or thinking, I wonder what it would be if I got to, if I got sacked tomorrow, SeverancePayCalculator.com is the place to go uh, for that. you still got time to call in and ask your questions here for the remainder of this show this afternoon, 604-280-9898. Or star nine eight nine eight on your uh, your cell. Want to switch gears, Leah, over to uh, changes in the workplace, and I'll start by this one that we were discussing uh, some time ago. Can an employer make changes to terms of employment only if a contract or not essential? What do you think? Changing, yeah, so, changing your employment. Yeah, so it, an employer can make changes to terms of employment, um, okay. but as you said, it's only if it's in your contract. Mm-hmm or if they're not essential. So uh, what that means is that uh, an employer has to specifically reserve the right in your contract to change a term of employment. Um, And if they don't have that in a contract, if you don't have an offer letter or a contract or an agreement that, that very clearly says the employer reserves the right or has the discretion to, you know, change your job duties, change your pay, change your place of work, uh, then, then they cannot do it. The only other ch- type of change that they can make without that contractual right is if the, if the change is non-essential. So, you know, if I say to somebody, you know, instead of being in a west-facing office, I want you to be in an east-facing office. Or, right. um, you know, instead of coming in at 8, I'd like you to come in at 830. Something that something that um, that doesn't go to the heart of the actual employment relationship is an employer or is a change that your employer can make. But if it's if it is essential, then they need that contractual right. Should you automatically assume that if it's in your contract, it is a, it, they can do it? Meaning, it has to does it not like anything else in your contract has to be written in a certain way to make sure it's bulletproof and you can't get around it? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Um, if an employer makes a change and your contract says the employer has the discretion to make changes to your employment, that right. is not the be all and end all of of that conversation. Far from it. Um, you know, I I am certainly of the view, and this is what the, the advice that I give to my employer clients is that if you want the right to change essential terms or conditions of employment, um, then what you have to do is spell that out. Um, it, it you know it can't just, in my view, be an ambivalent catch-all phrase that allows you to do anything you want with the terms or conditions of this individual's employment. If you want to specifically reserve the right to change duties, then you've got to say in your contract, you've got the right to change duties. If you want to be able to change hours because you need a flexible workplace in that regard, then your contract should explicitly say that as well. I think that an employer is running a major risk to have um, a, you know, a, a, what I would call a catch-all provision 
mm-hmm. um, and then trying to make changes on that basis. Of course, even if the term in the contract is, is, a, is very detailed and goes into the specifics of the change that's been made, there's always the question about whether or not that contract is enforceable in the first place. Gotcha. Right? Um, did you receive consideration for entering into that contract? And by that, I mean, if that contract was given to you after you started your job, were you given a benefit to signing that? Were you provided with something that you wouldn't have already been entitled to, like a signing bonus or a gift card or, you know, anything really, okay. just some sort of benefit um, that, uh, that you've been given in exchange for your signature? Because if not, um, then, then they can't. Uh, then they that contract is not enforceable, and they won't have the right to to enforce it to make that change. We'll you still got some time to call in, ask your question six zero four two eight zero nine eight nine eight or star nine eight nine eight on your cell. We'll get to Gorinder. Hey, Gorinder, thank you for uh, for hanging on for a couple minutes. How are you this afternoon? Okay, thank you for putting me on the air. And uh, I have a question. Like sometimes the company is making the you know, file against you, just like betting the cause, and sometimes you don't even, their company is making the uh, file for against you, but uh, sometimes when you find out that they are caught, and even you just explain your clarification, they say, okay, those cars are not back, we are satisfied, but still we make the decision, so we already terminate you, so we are not reversing the decision. That's what happened to me a couple times before. So... Can can I get uh, still get the severance pay or uh, this is a sufficient cause that uh, they can deny me from the severance pay? So so you're talking about a situation where you were written up and the um, uh, you defended yourself. They said that they understand your point of view, but the decision's already been made, and then you were terminated, and it was done. Yeah, they because I, I gave my, they say, these are the cars, these are the cars, okay, I gave my clarification, they say, okay, uh, we got satisfied, but we already make that decision, so we can't reverse our decision. Hmm. <laughs> okay, um, so how long ago was this, Surrender? What's it? How, how long, long ago was it? Oh, that was, uh, that was a long time ago, but I, I am just want to know for the future, if, if something happened in right. the future. Right. Oh, okay, okay, sure, because you only have two years to bring a civil claim uh, against a company when you've been let go. Um, otherwise, you would it'd still be something you'd be able to pursue. But, but certainly for the future, um, you know, if you feel like you're being written up and you've got, you know, responses to these disciplinary notes that you want the company to know, uh, I highly recommend that you not only communicate them during the course of the meeting, but that you clearly set out in a written response to that note what your position is. And, you know, it's, it's not meant to be a, an antagonistic activity. It's really just, you know, they're setting out what they believe to the facts to be, and then you set out what you believe the facts to be. There doesn't need and to be any sort of solution from that, but then, you know, you can, you can provide that to them, ask for it to be in the personnel file, uh, and then that way you've got a written record of what your response is uh, in the event that you are ultimately terminated for cause. But my ultimate advice 
and any again, when anybody's terminated for cause, is to immediately contact a lawyer, especially if you're in a situation where they're saying, oh, well, we see your point of view, but, you know, we've already made this decision, and for business reasons, we're not going to reverse it. I mean, that is just not a company, it doesn't sound like, that's going to be able to meet the very high burden of proving that they had cause to terminate you. Gorinder, thanks for the call, and I guess it, it speaks to the uh, the thing we say all the time in the show, not, not even with being written up for cause with anything in life, and as a matter of fact, just write it, have everything in writing. If you have a rebuttal, a verbal one is no good because it turns into a he said, he said. You want to write everything down, and like you said, start start stocking up a file, right? Yeah, I I feel like such a broken record, and, and not because, I mean, the question comes up for, for very good reasons, but because sure. this is the advice that I always give for every situation the advice that I take probably the most to heart in my own life and in my own job which is to put everything in writing everything should go in writing even if you're not sending it to somebody even if it's just an email that you send to yourself or even Mm -hmm. if it's just a journal that you're keeping at home beside your bed you know that is something that you want to have in writing so that you've got evidence as it happens yeah. from your point of view. You got oh. it. We'll move on to uh, to Colleen. Hey, uh, hey, Colleen, thanks for hanging on. Good afternoon. How are okay. you? Thank you. Good. Good. Go ahead. Okay. Can I ask my question? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I work for a firm that is fairly large, and I've been working in HR for about 10 years. But the last two years, July marks a two-year uh, disability. I was in a car accident. And mm. I'm just wondering, when I go back to work, my job has changed a little bit in that they've got um, three people doing my job altogether. So when I go back, I really like the disability component of my position, handling disability claims. And I'm wondering if I'm still entitled to sort of choose what I want to do of my job. Or can mm. they just arbitrarily give me the duties and then just pay me what I used to get paid? Right. So um, generally speaking, the the fact that you were on disability leave won't impact the analysis here. So we would assess that question just as we would if you had called me and said, hey, my my company sent me a letter and they're taking away this part of, of my job. They're really changing the part of the duties. Can they do that? And the answer most of the time is no, they can't. Um, they, they need to have either expressly reserved the right to do so in an employment agreement or contract, uh, an enforceable agreement or contract that says that they you know, reserve the right and they have the discretion to change uh, the duties of your job. If Which they I don't have, that, then, then, then no, they can't. Um, if these are duties that, that seriously alter the landscape of the employment relationship that you have with this company, if it, if it changes the job that you were doing before you left, um, or before this change is implemented, then they can't do that. And and what your options are in that instance is to uh, is to say to them, I'm not going to accept that. And so you can either restore me back to that old job, or you you've essentially terminated the employment relationship, and now you owe me severance, or you oh, can really? accept it. Yeah. So so there there are two there are two options. Uh, available to you. The fact that you were on disability leave adds a a related but separate component to that. Because if the reason why your job changed was because you were gone, then that could amount to indirect discrimination, 
which is contrary to the Human Rights Code. So they said, I've been related. told that it's because of the company's gotten bigger and my job yep. has gotten so much busier, so they had to sort of break it up, which I understand, but I really like the disability component of my position and I would like to retain that. But I've been told by the insurance company that the company that I work for can say that it poses a hardship to them to give me what I want to do, that they should be given the opportunity to give me whatever they want. Hmm. I so love what insurance companies give yeah. pseudo-legal advice. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're not totally wrong. Um, and that's the, that's the kind of annoying part, is that, um, yes, they, they do have an obligation to accommodate your disability to the point of undue hardship. So if you were coming back from a disability and you had a doctor's note that said, I need to continue to do my job exactly as it was before because, you know, this is this is critical for my recovery and for my health and for, you know, for whatever other reason, then they do have an obligation to accommodate that to the point of undue hardship. Undue hardship being a very high threshold. They have to prove that it's either unsafe to accommodate okay. you or that it costs too much to accommodate you. But if, if this is a personal preference, um, then your strongest piece of leverage is going to be the potential that it's a constructive dismissal and has nothing to do with your disability or the accommodation piece. Okay. Now, have you tried to just simply ask them? I haven't yet, but I worked in HR, so I know how things go. And I can almost see the writing on the wall, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> but I right. just have this funny feeling that, yeah, someone else who's doing the job right now, part of it, she really likes the disability component. Well, so did I. And that gives me the best opportunity to go back to work because I had a car accident with three, um, I got hit three times in a car with my oh, head. Gosh. So I'm having a bit of trouble with concussion. But not dizziness yeah. or anything, just my eyes. And so being on a computer all day would give me, that would give me grief. But talking yeah, to people, so, being on the computer, bit, so it's very diversified for me. So it, I, could, I could do that. So, so why don't you speak to your doctor about it then? Because if your doctor will say that you need that sort of varied uh, work duties in order to perform your job properly, then it becomes a disability and accommodation issue. So I would, I would highly recommend speaking to your doctor, uh, seeing what they can do, and, and giving me a call. I'd be happy to talk about this uh, more with you off the air, Colleen. Appreciate it, Colleen, and we'll leave it there for today. Uh, the number to reach out, 604-283-3123, and help at employmenthour.com. Till next weekend, we are done right here on the Employment Hour on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.